0: Coming back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to live grief support, podcast stickers, giveaways, and so much more, head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. On today's show, I'm talking to Vivian Nunez, founder of Too Damn Young, who lost her mom at 10 and her grandmother and primary caregiver at 21. Also on the show today, I'm dropping a quick reminder about Monday's Google Hangout. I hope you'll join me. Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to Coming Back This Week. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. If you follow me on Instagram at griefguideshelbyforsythia, you probably know that I've been struggling with a bad sinus infection since Friday or Saturday. And yes, I'm okay. I'm on the mend. But you can probably hear it in my voice still. So today's top of the show is going to be a short one. First thing I want to say uh, is a huge absolute thank you to all of you who have been sending me Netflix recommendations for movies and documentaries. Uh, I am a person who has a hard time sitting still and being sick. And so it's always nice to put my attention on something I've never seen before to kind of still feel like um, I'm learning and growing, even if I'm down for the count and can't leave my house. So it's been really fun to hear from all of you and just watch the things that you watch on your sick days. Secondly, um, because I am still recovering, Uh, I just want to drop in a quick reminder about the Google Hangout, and then we will get right to today's interview. So this coming Monday, February 25th, is my monthly hour-long Google Hangout for listeners of this show. This is a space for people who listen to Coming Back to get together, to support each other, and ask me literally anything you can think of about grief, loss, and coming back, whether it's for you, for someone that you love, for someone that you work with, etc., uh, in previous Google Hangouts, I've been doing these for a little over a year now. I've recommended books, other podcasts to listen to, and even taught some of the tools that I use in my own coming back to cope with the day-to-day trickiness and triggeriness of grief. You can show up and ask whatever your heart desires. I am yours for the full hour. All you have to do to join is pledge $1 a month or more over at patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia. And once you pledge, you instantly unlock all of my private locked posts, including the link to join us on Monday, February 25th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And of course, you can always find the link to my Patreon page in the show notes for this episode. Up next, I'm talking to Vivian Nunez, who is too damn young. But first, a quick break. One of the most helpful things I've found in my lost grief growers is a witness to my journey. Beyond feeling that I'm not alone, although that's extremely helpful in the aftermath of loss, I feel like by sharing my story with someone else, I have a sounding board, a guide, and someone who's just a little bit farther ahead on the road than I am. There is camaraderie and small growing strength and confidence in finding a grief coach who can companion you, walk alongside you, and you're coming back. I want to be the person to hold this space for you on a one-on-one level, if you're looking for more focused attention on your heart, whether you're coping with death, divorce, diagnosis, or something else, please head to shelbyforsythia.com grief dash coaching to receive more information about the types of grief coaching I offer and to fill out an interest form. That's shelbyforsythia.com slash grief coaching. I'm here to be your companion toolbox and shoulder in grief. You can also find a link in the show notes. Vivian Nunez is a writer and founder of 2DamnYoung.com, a community and resource for teens and young adults who have lost someone they love. Whenever she isn't writing personal essays on vulnerability or mental health, you can find her talking about entrepreneurship with Latina Trailblazers on her podcast Creating Espacios or in her Women at Forbes column. You can find Vivian on Instagram at Viv Nunez. Vivian, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to have you here as a referral from one of our former podcast guests, Gladys Otto, who came on to tell us about her book, The Good Goodbye. Uh, And she directed me to your project, Too Damn Young. So I'm really excited to talk to you about grief and your loss story, but also how it has become something bigger through the years. So if you could, please, we'll start at the very beginning with your loss story.
1: Of course. Honestly, thank you so much for having me on here. It's it's a Friday night in New York City and I really wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Um, so my lost story started with my mom. So I lost my mom when I was 10 years old. I'm 26 now. And honestly, and we'll get into this throughout the whole podcast episode, but really with my mom, it was such a young experience in terms of like, I was so little, I don't remember much of my life with her. And I don't remember much of my process right immediately after her. Um, So for me, one of my bigger grief stories was when I lost my grandma when I was 21. I felt that very much in my soul. And because I was one of her primary caregivers, because I was so involved in her life, seeing – and losing her and the process that came with it was definitely one of my first times um, I felt actively experiencing grief versus with my mom. It was like a passive thing that happened over the years. And that's ultimately what inspired 2 Dam Young. Um, so 2 Damn Young is a community and a resource for teens and young adults who have lost someone they love. And it was in wanting to fill that gap of what it meant to grieve as a young adult and processing grief that you may have experienced as a child or as a teenager, and then experiencing life and having a girl with a sort of emptiness alongside of you and understanding what that is, is, is how I came to be where I am now.
0: I'm really interested in this phrasing that you used of passive versus active grief in mm-hmm. uh, losing both your mom and your
1: grandmom. Can you elaborate more on that for us? Yeah, of course. So for me, when I say passive grief versus active grief, um, with my mom, she, I was ten years old and she was forty-four, and I didn't really experience the the lead up to her passing away. for For us, it was or for me at least, it was a, a thing that was almost very separate from my regular life. I was still going to school normally. I was still experiencing my life as it was, um, and really, the main impact happened when. When news hit that she had passed away in the hospital. And then, even that was something that I had to process over time. And it wasn't something that I actively sat in and grieved as it was happening. I think it started hitting me a lot more once I was a teenager, once I was in high school, and once I was experiencing the moments where I realized, oh, wow, I don't have a mom. And like, what does that actually mean in my life? Versus with my grandma, because she was my legal guardian since my mom passed away. And we had all of this life together. And then I was there when she got sick. I was there when she started going into the hospital. I was a primary caregiver for her. I was talking to doctors. I was in and out of ICU with her. There was just this sense of being so present that then made me, that almost forced me to need to be present in the grief that followed. I didn't have the opportunity to kind of go back to my life as I normally would have and process the grief later on. And to my benefit, I think, because I think that to... When I lost my mom, it was this delayed reaction that came with the passiveness of that grief um, that I didn't necessarily or haven't had when it came to my grandma's. Thank you for making that so clear. And this is super
0: fascinating to me because I know a lot on the show we've talked to uh, adults who have children who are witnessing their children grieve. Mm -hmm. And we can talk as much as we want about Developmental stages and how kids grieve, you know, below the age of five and ten and below and thirteen and below, and with all these um, kind of brackets and markers of what they quote unquote should be or will be feeling in these stages. But to hear Mm -hmm. from somebody who has had a loss so young, it's kind of um, we're flipping the script, reversing the table, and we're not Mm -hmm. here. I feel privileged not to be talking to somebody who's watching somebody else grief like a second degree Mm -hmm. grief but to someone who's actually experienced it um and you have your own language for it it's not the psychology of from the ages of five to eight and you know the ages of eight Mm -hmm. to twelve and all of these symptoms of you know like trouble sleeping and needing routines and all this kind of stuff and so I'm fascinated by this this passive grief and this active grief and the role that you played because it seems like The older that you got as you lost your grandmom at 21 was you had that full picture of what this will encompass for your life. Not only because you've lost before, but you had such a a more active role in her day-to-day life as well.
1: Yeah. So I think even a couple things there – I, I guess I hadn't really realized how much I had a, my own vocabulary for it, but I do. And I think too, I unsubscribed to the notion of grief being a thing that I could define with a textbook the minute I started realizing that my grief didn't fit a textbook. Oh, I Right, because heard. especially because of the passive grief aspect of it, right? Because if it if my grief was according to stages, then um, it wouldn't have been so cyclical either, right? And and it wasn't in stages. It. With especially my mom, right? It's something that hits time and time again and and I go back and forth between the stages that are supposed to be kind of check marks in a in a notebook and it's just not how it happens. I always say that grief wasn't isn't this thing that I'll ever get over. It is something that I learn to live with and whose form changes as I grow up, right? I don't miss my mom the way I did when I was fifteen right? I miss her in a very different way at 26 than I did when I was 13 and starting to like go to high school. And I miss her very differently than when I started dating. And I miss her very differently now that I'm in a like more stable relationship. And there are just aspects of my life that as I continue to grow, I'll just miss her in different ways. And I'm okay with that. And I think that one of the things that having such a strict definition of grief, I feel has done in a detrimental way is put people in this box that if, if what they feel does not fit, then maybe that's not what they actually feel. And that's a really hard place to put someone who's just trying to navigate missing someone. Um, so I think from from that perspective, it's always been a really interesting, and I'm such a words person too, I'm a writer. So I, words have always been the thing that have helped me define the pain and the grief and figuring out what boxes to go in. But when I came to my grandmother, you're right, it was something that because I was just so present in the process of losing her, I had no other choice but to grieve her in the same way. And then to understand my identity, right? At that point, when I had lost her, my identity was very intertwined with hers. It was, I was her caregiver. I was her granddaughter. I was someone who was signing papers in her end-of-life decisions, right? So who I was standing alone in that was non-existent at that point, honestly. It was, I was a student. I was graduating from college and all these things were supposed to be lining up for a life that I was supposed to have, but none of it felt mine. And so I had to take time to figure out who I actually was. And to some degree, it's something I'm still in the process of and also something that I've arrived in. And, and I know a lot more about myself than I did when I was 21. But grief has kind of, in some ways, helped navigate that whole discovery period because it's forced me to have to face who I am, what I want, where I put my values, in ways that maybe someone who hadn't lost at this age would have to.
0: I want to branch off of that and ask, do you ever fear for your own life or for your own mortality? Because you've seen two very significant women in your life die. And granted, they're older at their deaths than you are now. Mm-hmm. But but does that kind of change how mortality looks to you? Oh my
1: God, Yes. I think my biggest fear in life is death. Um, And I think that... And I think this is true of anyone who has lost anyone young, especially a parent. Um, I think you fear the age that they are, that they were when they passed away. So, like, I'm very afraid to be 44 um, because I feel like that's just... It's just a scary age now for me. Um, But to the same degree, yeah, I 100% fear death. I think that mortality is something that I I have a difficult, complicated relationship with. And I realize it now because over the last year or so, I've developed a fear of flying. And it's less of a fear that it doesn't stop me from getting on a plane. I travel a lot for work. I have to. But it is this place where I'm more forced to face the mortality of something because I'm up in the air and that's pretty much all you can get. Um but it is a difficult relationship with, with death because I saw two people who I love very much die, right? And at different points in my life, at different points in their lives. But it was this presence of realizing how close death really is that made me fear it for my own life. And it's something that I navigate with my anxiety the most. Um, So I'm in therapy. I have been for like five years now. And I actively figure out ways to, to remind myself that I'm very much alive and that a happy thing doesn't have to be chased by a sad thing. Because I think that's another thing that you, instead of just mortality, because sometimes mortality is very high reaching, right? You're like, I am afraid of death. But sometimes it's a small or small is a hard word to describe it, but that's as, as granular and as daily as I'm afraid of like good things because what if a bad thing happens? And that's like a cycle that you're just getting stuck in because you see so many bad things when you lose people. Um, But I think that it's also the biggest reminder for me that I have this one life and this one chance to make a difference in it and how am I going to use my everyday to make sure that I'm pouring into a mission that is aligned with that for me.
0: I think that was so well said and I literally wrote down as you were speaking, a happy thing doesn't have to be chased by a bad thing. I'm wondering if there's anything concrete that you're doing or something maybe that you even learned in therapy to combat that thought because that's something that hovers over me all the time like that other shoe is like right above my head all the time I'm like Mm -hmm. when's it gonna drop when's it gonna drop
1: yeah I think it's something that for me I didn't realize I do honestly until very recently I didn't realize how often I do it um how often like subconsciously my my chest will just tighten or my heart will just start beating if something is going really good, if I'm having a really good night, if I'm being if I'm just really happy. Um so I think the biggest thing for me has been to notice those thoughts and to like say, wow, like I'm thinking about this simply because of the fact that I'm afraid of bad things happening. Right. It doesn't mean that I am because I had to really separate the this is not a premonition. <laughs> mm. This is just a bad thought. Right, Because I was attached to the idea that like if I'm thinking it, it's going to happen because it's a premonition versus this is just my anxiety and it's not something that's going to happen just because I think it. And that has helped me shift. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it go away. But it makes me stay more present in the fact that just because something is happy doesn't mean that something is bad. And even if something bad did happen, it doesn't mean that it is caused by my happiness. And gosh. Practicing that has been probably the best way to to just navigate it has been, like, constantly having to remind myself of this.
0: There's just so much in here that is dripping and full of wisdom. Like, I'm so... It's one of those, I see all these posts online sometimes about people, it's like one or two sentences about a feeling or an emotion. And then the comment underneath it is, wow, somebody finally put it into words. And it usually happens on something like like Tumblr or like Instagram or something. And they're yeah. like, wow, it's in words. And that's exactly how I feel hearing you speak. It's like, <laughs> wow, even if I am happy and then unhappy, the happiness isn't the cause of the sadness. Like that forced uncoupling of the mm-hmm. two you know the really good thing, and then the other shoe dropping. Like it, holy moly! I'm just like absorbing everything you're saying. It's, it, it's <laughs> and it's it's wildly cool. You can tell that that you're a words person, but also that you've put the time and the energy into a very uh, increased amount of self study as a result of your losses, mm-hmm. and that makes me want to turn into a totally like 180 direction from this conversation. Um, and that is a little bit earlier in the podcast, you were mentioning your dating life, and I'm wondering what loss does to you for you with you how you interact with loss and grief in the world of dating because I know for me personally I almost have like this invisible rule of I can't be in a relationship with somebody who hasn't like seen some shit at least on some level because I'm like they're not even going to relate to (laughs) and then some people are like "I, I won't get in a relationship unless somebody's had a perfect life because then they're quote-unquote instability matches with their partner's stability I'm like, at some point yeah. it's going to be rocky for both of you but I won't you know I won't burst your bubble <laughs> that way um but so I'm just wondering how that has impacted you as somebody who's from a 26 year old to another 26 year old
1: <laughs> yeah I think for me so I'll take you back a little bit I think that when I was dating more actively I'm in a relationship right now so I'm going back like almost three years at this point um One of my biggest things when I was dating was just like, I can't possibly sit with someone who is fascinated by my losses Mm -hmm. or like puts me on a pedestal for the fact that I lost so young and somehow I like made it out. Like that made me really uncomfortable. I had many a date where like guys were just like really impressed, but like not in a like normal way, just in a very like, oh man, you've already put me on a pedestal and I'm going to fall because I'm a human being. And like having navigated what it has to navigate didn't suddenly make me a superhero. And so we're starting off on the wrong foot already. So that made it really quick for me to kind of decipher who I wanted to be around. Um, another really big indicator for me was if I couldn't talk about my mom or my grandma or my losses in general or my work with Too Damn Young in a way that didn't make them feel uncomfortable, right? Or in a way that If they reacted in a way that was very uncomfortable from the get or if it was very, like, taboo to talk about them, it was like, we're not going to work out because I can't talk about my life and my work, um in a way that is meaningful to me because suddenly you're afraid of your own mortality. Granted, I totally understand how scary that is because we just talked about how scary that (laughs) is. Um, But at the same time, it was like, I have to have permission and space to be myself. And so much of who I am is influenced by the fact that I have not just lost, but that I've navigated pain, right? And I've navigated and, and my resilience is a direct result from that. Right, and my personality has been molded by that, and my sense of humor has been molded by that. So if we can't meet there, then it's really hard to meet in general. Um, I think one of the things that really attracted me to my boyfriend is, especially at the beginning, was the fact that he he saw the potential in Too Young as just like a, as a community, right? And it was never this thing that was. Just like a passion project, because she lost her her mom or her grandma, it was always like, "Wow, this can be something really big," and that I was I was moved by that. But at the same time, I think that he's never lost anyone, um, not anyone that was incredibly close to him. And I think that that has made for an interesting dynamic in our relationship. Because you're right, it's really hard to tell someone, "Hey." I'm feeling this way on a Thursday because I miss my mom and have them not want to fix it if they've never gone through it and accepted like just the reality of what that has to mean, right? It just means that I miss them and it's okay. But he has had to learn and is still in the process of that of like how to just let it be instead of trying to fix it because there's no way to fix it. And I think that that's proven harder for him than it has for me. Um, but it is an interesting dynamic because he hasn't lost someone, and I have lost two people who are really um were really close to me or my parents essentially and and the dynamic there has been one where I have had to have a lot of understanding that not everyone comes from the kind of like dy- growing up that I did, and that that's okay right not everyone has to have lost at least i don't think that everyone not everyone has to have lost someone in order to understand and empathize with that on a high level on a day to day level it takes a lot of listening if you're going to be around someone who has lost someone to meet them where they are versus forcing them to meet them where you are which is a place where like you're just way more okay With the notion of, well, okay, you missed them. That's fine. And then just moving on or like, oh my God, we need to fix this versus just letting it be. Um, So over time he's gotten a lot better and it's such a small thing. And I don't even think he notices that he does it now more regularly, but it's something that's popped up a lot more often over the last few months where it's like, he like mentions my mom and my grandma just like off the cuff, like like I'll do something silly, or I'll do something, and he's just like, "Oh my god, they're probably looking down at me." Like she's your problem now, <laughs> and it's like little things like that that I'm just like, "You have no idea how awesome that is, right?" Because suddenly, like, they're just regular characters in my life the way that your parents are regular characters in yours. Oh, wow. and That's so cool. Yeah, and it's but it took us what like we've been together almost a year, three years now. Like it took us a really long time to get here. Right, it took us a lot to to navigate to a place where, like, he would mention he can mention them in that way and feel that comfortable. And I think it has to do too with me. It has to do with me talking about them in that way and being more comfortable, just mentioning not just the sad days for him, but just telling him regular stories about them. And and so I think that it is, if you're in a relationship or if you're trying to date. And you wanna figure out how to navigate grief within it. It is a case by case basis and a day by day process because there's no one who is ready. You weren't ready when you lost your your people right so to introduce the loss at a later stage to someone new and and want them to respect who they who the people were and also respect the loss at the same time, I think it takes time because it takes time to know people and then it takes time to lose people um so giving it the space and the time for them to get to a place where they can have a joke like that is i think the best gift you can give yourself because if because if not it's like you're in constant pressure to try to have someone get it from the very beginning and like some people will and that's awesome but some people don't and the attraction is still there (laughs) so it's like it's navigating it day by day i found it was the most effective I think that's really
0: neat that you said that because it speaks to the role of patience on the part of someone who's grieving in grief. Mm -hmm. I know so many pieces of grief literature and even a lot of the stuff that I write that I'm like, if they don't get it, maybe it's time to find other people, even if it's not in the dating room, even if it's like friends or coworkers. Mm -hmm. Um, And
1: uh,
0: I think at some point though, too... Provided they aren't outright like hostile or threatening. Yeah, or mm-hmm. I think there is something to be said for the role of patience, or asking people to listen, or doing some like both verbal and nonverbal teaching uh, of how how to handle a grieving person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I think you know what I think the difference maker is, right? I think the difference maker there isn't just for the person to be patient. Or for the, it's for the other person to want to learn. Yeah. Right? I think that that's a difference maker. It's a, like you feel way more okay with being patient and teaching and, and, and kind of giving someone like a step by step guide almost when the other person is receptive to that. And when the other person asks for it, or when the other person is, you can tell, is just trying their absolute best. But sometimes their best comes up short because they've never had to face the same circumstances. And so then empathy has to go both ways, right? But at the same time, I do agree with you. I think that there is a limit or a situation. I don't think it's fair to ask someone who is days into their grief to teach someone else, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that they're processing their own thing and they're trying to figure out how to navigate it on their own. And that you don't have the bandwidth at that point to actively teach someone else how to be, a, be your friend, in that space so it's okay if like you have to take a step away from someone who just isn't getting it then because you have to figure out how you're grieving and it's enough at that point and way 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 more on your plate than anyone can even fathom right so i understand it from that perspective i think i wouldn't have been it would have been much harder for me with my boyfriend if it was like a month after my grandmother had died or something because it would have felt really tender and I would have felt very sensitive to the fact that someone didn't get it from the beginning. And like, there's just a time gap that really helped. Um, And that you're just way more prepared to teach someone because you know more of it, right? It's really hard to teach someone a language if you don't know the vocabulary. So you have to get yourself to the point where you know, where you have a dictionary of words that you can pass on.
0: I just can't say it any better than that. Um a, a metaphor is coming up or a, or another story I read, I believe it's in Megan Devine's book. I've been mentioning her book on almost every podcast episode this season because it's A, it's so long, but B, it's so good. Um, and she she writes this short story about like being in grief. Is like the instant somebody you love dies, you absorb a new language into your brain and everyone around you, even the well-meaning people are like, okay, you have to teach me this language so I can help you. And you're like, I just suffered the worst loss of my life. I can't figure out how to teach you this language. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have the energy to speak this vocabulary to you with the hopes that you'll learn it and know how to speak it back to me. Like it's just too much to ask Mm -hmm. in those first, I mean, days, weeks, even months, even the first years. Yeah. Yeah. and so that's a really isolating experience. I want to link back to something you said too and that you kind of have to start to know yourself as a grieving person first, like before mm-hmm. you can start informing other people of what that looks like and how to help you. And what are your like hallmarks? Like how do you know when you're grieving?
1: I have a very big affinity towards dates. Um So for me, the things, one of the things that I realized, again, over time that really messes me up the most are anniversaries. Um, So it was really interesting. This was the first. So my mom has been dead now for 16 years and her death anniversary is January 10th. Um, I was on a plane this year on January 9th at 8.20 PM to India. And so I was flying from New York to to, uh, Mumbai. It's a 15-hour flight, and then it is a a 10-and-a-half-hour time difference from New York to Mumbai. So by the time we landed, we took off January 9th. By the time we landed, it was January 11th. Wow. So I had essentially skipped the entire death anniversary. That was not planned. My boyfriend was the one who booked flights. Um, But it was the first time in my life that, A, I had skipped a, a death anniversary, and, B, that I had been given the opportunity to not feel attached to a date. Because it's something that really is triggering for me. Um, because I'll just live the date like if I it was 2003. So like my head will replay everything the way it would have then. And I didn't, I couldn't look at a clock and do that because I was on a plane. And then I was awake and it was the 11th. And so then it gave me this really awesome opportunity and the space to just make what I needed from the anniversary. So instead, I just celebrated in my life. I was in India. My mom would have been flipping out over the fact that I was somewhere so far away from where, where I grew up, where I was born, where she like came to live from Ecuador. You know, so I I gravitated towards that. But for me, yeah, a lot of the a bigger I know to expect harder days on anniversaries. Um, like Mother's Day is also a really big one for me. I think too when I get when I accomplish something. I tend to have a deeper relationship with grief and in the sense that I just miss having a mom, my mom to call and pick up the phone with. And, and it's little things like that, that you end up learning how to address when it happens. Right. So like for anniversaries, it's easier to anticipate and it's easier to deal with it because of that. Right. So to some degree, I'm like, all right, I know I'm going to be this way. Maybe I won't work that day. I'll do X, Y, Z. And I'll like, you know, handle it but if it's a random day where it's a little bit harder then I forget what it was a few weeks ago I was just like really missing my mom or no last week actually this is a cool story I I've been I've been wearing a necklace all around my neck that was my mom's um since literally days after she died and had never really taken it off I think I've taken it off in my life over the last sixteen, 16 years maybe two or three times. Um, and it broke last week. And and so I'm like holding this necklace and I like take a picture of it and I sent the picture to my boyfriend and I was just like, I just sent the picture, I didn't even say anything. And he was like, oh my God, no. like, And he was like, we'll get it fixed, like it's fine. And like, I still haven't gotten it fixed. And I cried when it broke and I was I was, like, in tears, and I was just, like, I can't – I was, like, for some reason, like, it breaking just, just like, got me, and the notion of, like, ha- not having it around my neck, and it just all kind of hit me all at once, and I just missed my mom, and I, and I missed just everything about it, um, but at the same time, it also felt really freeing. <laughs> I'd had this thing around my neck for 16 years and it kind of felt like a really big symbol of grief that now I could, I could put wherever I wanted to and I could manage however I wanted to. So I probably won't get it fixed for a little bit, um, but I'm carrying it into my wallet. So I think that the more you learn how, what are the things that trigger you and what are the things that feel a little bit sad um, the more you learn how to deal with someone, on, on a way that is your own, right? For someone else, it would have been going immediately to like fix the necklace. That didn't feel right for me. It felt like I needed to find a new way to kind of remember my mom and my grandmother without having that around my neck for, you know, for so long.
0: Wow. No, I, I, I really appreciate this. Cause I remember I have my own jewelry breaking stories and It's not. Well, one piece of jewelry was a ring that was actually lost that absolutely broke my heart that belonged to my mom, but was actually made by her sister, my aunt. And it's lost in my childhood home somewhere. And I know that if. Uh, my dad still lives in the house. So if he and his new wife ever move out, I'm like, I need to go through this room and really look for it because I looked, I vacuumed. I did the whole thing to try and like go through the vacuum cleaner and stuff and try and find it. And I cannot, I lost it on a winter break once, like months before my mom died. And it was important to me then. And then after she died, I was like, Oh, now it's really important to find it. And that was like five years ago. Cause my mom died when I was 21 also. Um, and then the other story was actually a necklace that broke that I bought kind of in memory for my mother. It wasn't something that belonged to her, but I find a lot of symbolism in jewelry. So if I'm going through like a phase or a new project or something in life, I'll buy a piece of jewelry to commemorate it. And then I'll never take it off for like three months or two years or however long Mm -hmm. it lasts. And then the jewelry goes away with all my other jewelry. And I'm like, thank you for your, it's almost a Marie Kondo thing. I'm like, thank you for your service. Goodbye. Um, and then I have kind of like naked hands or naked ears or a naked neck for a while until Mm -hmm. the next piece of jewelry comes into my life. Um, but oh my gosh, I've cried over these things so much. And I think we put so much, I think we put so much identification into the things that we wear every day. This isn't just, I think people who have never grieved have the potential to like roll their eyes and be like, it's just a insert piece of clothing or or shoes or a watch or, you know, earrings or a necklace or whatever here. But a lot of times if it's your, daily connecting tie to that person and or in dream cases if it's the only piece of them that you have left, it's it can be enormously powerful to lose it. And then of course with everything that's metaphysical going on in the world today, it's like, oh does this mean something? Is someone else gonna die? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. does this mean I have more grief on the way? Or, you know, that my mother can't talk to me anymore. Something like that, because it it has the potential to take on this higher
1: symbolism too, than just a piece of A 100 percent, honestly so if we can stay on this for a little bit like i when i when it broke i i stared at it and i was like oh my god is this like my mom saying like okay you're on to the next chapter in your life you don't need me anymore in this specific like personal everyday touch kind of way and honestly i think that's why i haven't fixed it yet Because I think part of me is like, maybe she's right. Maybe this is like, this is the transition point for me. And maybe this is where I I need to let go of some things to make room for others. Um, But I think you're right too. I think we put so much into these pieces because there's no hand to hold.
0: We can't ask them. (laughs) no we and like you don't have a hand like, no it's just the, the glass pour out
1: <laughs> yeah like it's like it's fine like but it's but it's really interesting too like i i'm a heavy believer in like in symbols and and nothing being a coincidence in life um and i do think that we end up getting different pieces i don't know i i have a, a really strong connection i think to just how I feel like my mom shows up in my life. I'm a very big believer. Like the number 13 is like a really big number for me. And like, anytime I see it, I'll be like, oh, that's like my mom kind of telling me like she's around. And like you end up, whether or not it's true doesn't matter anymore, right? Because it just gives me comfort and that's all I really need from it. But it is, it is interesting how much we put into these things and like, and then how surprised I think I was that I was ready to let it go. You know, I didn't cry as much because it broke and I needed it fixed. I cried more because, like, wow, it's been around my neck for 16 years. And it's, it's like, I'm growing up and and a lot of stuff that I don't remember from 16 years ago, you know. Um, and so I think that that was the harder-ish part of it. And so it's, just, it's a matter of figuring out, like, like you said, like, what gets replaced. I'll have a naked, you know, I have two other necklaces, one that I bought myself, one that my boyfriend bought me. Um, on my neck and like it feels like okay it feels like home so it's just a matter I think of figuring out what what feels good after but it does suck when it like those initial moments
0: yeah yeah because all of those thoughts kind of come crashing in your brain all at one time and you're like oh my god yeah
1: and the necklace is broken
0: like on top of that
1: exactly so exactly and it's those are one of those moments too where you really have to figure out like Where it's hard to talk to anyone who doesn't, who hasn't really expressed, experienced grief as much because they don't understand the 15 different triggers that like this one thing breaking like elicits for you. You know, for them, it's just a necklace breaking and like, we'll fix it. But for you, it's like, holy crap, like my whole entire connection to like this one person who is dead is gone now. So like, what do I do with my life? Um. So it is, it's just an emotional thing.
0: It is. And everything, it takes on, yeah, those 15 more different layers as soon as you're grieving. You're like, I think about things in so many different levels than I did before. Yeah, thousand percent. I'm looking through, I'm scrolling through your website as we're speaking. um, And I know you host Mm -hmm. the podcast Creating Espacios. Did Mm -hmm. I pronounce that correctly? You did, yeah. Oh, I'm still working hard on it. Um, And it's all about being Latina and being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have seen the work you've done as an entrepreneur through your website and through uh, Too Damn Young and your Instagram and things like that as well. But I want to know if your grief has been at all changed or influenced by being Latina? Because I know a lot of times the focus on grief is like, A, white, and B, female. And so as many male perspectives as I can get on the show, I do. And as many people of color I can get on the show, I do. Mm -hmm. Because it's such and I'm a white woman. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a platform, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I wish it was different. I wish it looked different And The, the yeah. longer I stay in this field, the more I'm like, oh my God, it's overwhelmingly white and female. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just wondered if we could explore that for a little bit.
1: A hundred percent. And I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, a thousand percent. Yes. It has been influenced by the fact that I am Latina. Um, i on com you'll see there's like a spanish section that i really want to ramp up the, over the next year because and and, and expand on because i think cultural culture as a whole really does influence how you grieve because there are nuances to it right the same way like you said like it it is a very um yeah just cultural experience like There are things when it comes to mental health that are just not okay to talk about in a Latino family, right? And and that made it really hard to grieve. Like, we don't talk about my grandma or my mom at home or within family. We don't mention them. We don't really, like, we'll go to the cemetery, we'll, like, engage in their memory, but we will not actively talk about them or share stories or ever really discuss them. And a lot of that comes from the fact that my entire family grew up in a very, like, Let's be quiet. Let's not talk about sad stuff kind of way. And that ranges from mental health issues across the board. Um, and I think that in some ways, young was very much an act of rebellion. It was like, yeah. no one at home wants to talk to me about it. So like, can I talk to someone else about it? So I'm going to make because, a website. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was basically that because it was like, well, I'm not talking to anyone about it here. And my just talking to my therapist about it sounds really like lame. So like, let me just talk to some other people who may get it. You know, and and it was that notion that really pushed the whole kind of being a Latina, being a founder in the space, talking more about grief, talking more about mental health within within the Latino community and as a whole. And I've built like something I'm really proud of as a result. I think that's so cool and so incredible. And as somebody who also
0: started a website out of rebellion, I'm kind of like, hell yeah. (laughs) I'm like, you know, yeah, I couldn't find what I was looking for or, you know, I wasn't allowed to talk about what I was looking for. So I'm just going to put it somewhere public Mm -hmm. and hope that other people will find it too. Um, And one of my relatives likes to say that people looking for the light that you're shining will find it. Yes. Um, And I always get this visual of like a big, um, like a bug lamp mm-hmm. or a bug lantern. I'm like, if I shine it bright enough and tall enough, everybody will come buzzing to it. And it sounds like you've really found your people. And I was so, uh, this is just like the first platform like this that I've seen. I clicked over and I will not try to pronounce this page. Pensamientos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Close. Okay. Yeah. On Too Damn Young. And that's the page that's entirely in Spanish. Stories mm-hmm. t- entirely in Spanish. And that's not something that I can... I can personally understand and process but to think to put myself in the perspective as much as I possibly can um, of someone who is Latina or Latino or looking for these resources online and being like oh my god there it is and it's in my language Mm -hmm. is like holy moly powerful because I think conversations about grief are even largely like westernized too yeah you go into eastern cultures uh, over into like Asia and stuff too and I'm like I wonder how much of this is also Public. Like, we're, I feel, and this is the reason that Gladys Otto put us in touch, I believe. And she's like, you guys are on the verge of some kind of global tipping point Mm -hmm. in terms of conversations about grief because for the first time we have the potential for free or for very low cost to put these stories online for other people to find, no matter where they are. If you have an internet connection, you can find your people.
1: Yeah. And I think there's such a blessing in that, right? Because, like you said, how awesome that someone can go on on too damn young and, and go on and see something in their language. Right. My hope is to create an environment that's sustainable enough on there on there that would allow for other cultures to be represented and for other people to feel like it's an inclusive environment. And I do it the same way too, when it comes to guys, right? Cause like you said, the grief conversation as a whole is when it's mainstream, it is very, very white and very, very female. And the fact is that not all, not only women lose people and not only white women lose people. And so the ability to have a more inclusive conversation that includes men, that includes other people of color is important and it's necessary and it's what's going to make grief a a thing that we can teach in schools, right? How to deal with it, how to be a good friend to someone who is in it, right? So, one of the bigger projects I want to work on this year is to do kind of like a mini tour for Junam Young, where I go into like seven different cities and do a docu series of just how do we talk about grief in these places? How can I bring them to schools to lead workshops and to get kids talking about grief and writing about grief or engaging on it in a way that is productive and channeling it in a way that's positive for them? And then how do we make sure that we're keeping track of them throughout the year so that they're feeling tended to and not abandoned after someone mentions their grief once, right? How are we taking them on this journey? And a lot of that just comes down to really engaging with people and understanding and allowing them to be a part of the conversation and not feeling like, like they have to be a part of the conversation that we set, Right. Grief as a whole, I, I say this on Trudy young's um, About page and I say it in general, is like the only thing that connects me to someone else who has grieved is the fact that we've lost someone. Everything else after that is a very unique experience. It's like an individualized experience. So why am I going to impose the way I grieve on someone else, especially when it comes to culture? It just doesn't make sense. So the more we talk about it, the more stories we're able to share, the bigger and that we cast when it comes to talking about it as a whole.
0: It so much reflects that that phrase of pick up what works for you and discard the rest, mm-hmm. but on a, a so much more personal level of if what I'm saying doesn't resonate with you, don't do it. But even beyond that of I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Mm-hmm. We have this one thing in common. Here's the common ground and everything else is, is experienced by you, determined by you. Um, grief is Hours alone but we also can't do it alone yeah and so it's a really unique human experience that that brings us all together in ways that we didn't expect so thank you for um for speaking on that and I love this idea of a tour I'm like if you're rolling through to Chicago or anywhere in the <laughs> west I cannot wait to meet you in person I would be so terribly excited um, I will ask you, now that we're kind of closing towards the end, mm-hmm. where people can find more on Too Damn Young as well as creating Espacios and uh, just get in touch with you in general, whether that's following you on Instagram or dropping you an email, all that jazz.
1: Of course. Um, so I'm really thankful that we had the opportunity to have this conversation. I'm really hoping to have Chicago on my list. So we'll definitely Ooh. keep in touch on that. Um, <laughs> if, if you want to find me, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Viv Nunez, which is probably the best place to find my writing and just my overall everyday life. And then you can find 2 Young at 2 com, And I'm sure you'll put that like in the – all the show notes and stuff like that. And creating espacios streams on Spotify – on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts, really. And if you want to send an email, just shoot an email to vivian at tunamyoung.com. Um, I love publishing essays. I love people who want to write for us. I love people who want to volunteer for us. So any way that you want to in any way contribute, um, shoot me a line. I'm just so excited. I, I'm. I, this has just been so cool. A hundred percent. No, honestly, it's been one of my favorite conversations. I've been... I haven't done a podcast solely on on grief in a really long time, and this is the best way to get right back into the playing field. So thank you for the opportunity, and I really can't wait to hear this. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back.
0: Thank you so much to fellow 26-year-old Vivian Nunez for coming on Coming Back today to talk about anxiety, dating after the loss of someone you love, and making space for Latina grief in the world. Vivian came back by working with a therapist, creating her own vocabulary for grief, and having open conversations about grief and mental health online. You can find a link to Too Damn Young and Vivian's Instagram in the show notes. For grief support beyond this podcast, go to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia, where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and receive instant access to a monthly grief support hangout with me. The next one, of course, is this Monday, February 25th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central. You can also apply for private grief coaching with me at shelbyforcythiacom slash grief-coaching. If you liked what you heard on the episode today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, of course, of course, tell a friend about Coming Back because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you so much to Mr. Addie Goldstein who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Cynthia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at griefguide Shelby for Cynthia or simply shelbyforcynthia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing the space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.